Amen. You guys can have a seat. How's everybody doing? Survive uh, Easter weekend last week? I didn't get any yeses, I just got chuckles. All right, well, you're here. Glad, glad you can make it to our 9.30 service. My name is Pastor Trevor. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's so awesome to be teaching from the Word of God this morning. Pastor Steve and Tammy are on a much-needed vacation, and so I get the blessing of teaching from the book of Revelation this morning. We're going to be talking about a fun topic, suffering. Who's excited? <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah, here we go. So uh, turn your Bibles to Revelation 2, verses 8 through 11. We're going to be looking at the church of Smyrna. Uh, before we start with that, though, um, you know, suffering, as we know, there's various types, but suffering is not fun. But I think it's the worst is when you are the cause of someone else's suffering. And no one knows that more than my mom uh, growing up and other things. Like, I was, I was a crazy kid growing up, and so I'll tell you a little bit of a story where I caused suffering to some other kids in my life. So how many of you guys, maybe it's still happening, I don't know, but Pizza Hut does something called the Book It program? Does anyone know this? Okay, so a weird homeschooled thing, all right? So I grew up in, a, I was a homeschooled kid up in Sholo, and we had this thing called Book It, and that meant you as a group would say, we're going to complete this many books as a group, and if we reach our goal, Pizza Hut will then give us a free pizza party. Sounds amazing, right? So we started doing this as a group, and we were going through our books, and everything was great. My mom said, Trevor, you're going to read the series Little House on the Prairie. It's like, okay, great. Sounds adventurous, I guess. So I get into chapter 3, and I quickly realize I'm not into this. Don't like this at all. Now, I'm a very simple man, all right? Very simple man, and that means I entertain myself very easily. So here's what I decided to do. I decided to, instead of doing something else that was productive, I am going to pretend to read this entire book series so I can get pizza, and I'm going to look at the pages and time in my head when I should turn the page. <laughs> and I'd literally time in my head, like, okay, it seems like about the time I would turn the page, and I'd, I'd do this over and over. Some of you guys have your mouths open right now. Just look, I, just, this is what I, this was me, right? The whole series, I did this for months. This went on, okay? And we're just a couple weeks away from our Book It pizza party. Our group has reached their goal until my mom asked me, hey, what did you think of this last book? And I just totally made something up and she saw through it. She's like, what about this book? She backtracked all the way until she suddenly realized my kid has single-handedly sabotaged this Pizza Hut party for all of these kids. And I will never forget the day when I had to publicly tell all these kids, hey guys, sorry, um, we're done. Be because of me, right? Because of me. And uh, after that, I had to go into the witness protection program. <laughs> and... Um, I made it out alive, and I'm here today, but uh, that was not fun. Suffering is not fun, and that's exactly what we're talking about this morning to the Church of Smyrna. So let's read our text together, Revelation 2, 8 through 11. It says, Write to the angel of the church in Smyrna, thus says the first and the last, the one who is dead and came to life. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich, and I know the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. That sounds nice. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for ten days. 
Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. Fun passage, right? A lot in there. So let's start. So last week, Steve started with the bio, the background of the city of Ephesus. So let's look at Smyrna, all right? So what is Smyrna? What do we know about them? So at this point in time, it was 100,000 people in this population, so a large population for that town. In fact, today, the, the town, it's now a city, is called Izmir, Turkey. It's in the, the nation of Turkey, Izmir. And they're the third largest city in Turkey today. Back then, a large city. Now, it didn't used to always be this way. They were once considered a dead city because of warfare and because of earthquakes. They were decimated until Alexander the Great, through his influence, he resurrected, he rebuilt the city. Now, Philadelphia is called the city of what? Brotherly love. That's their motto, right? Every, but it, except they're not, right? I'm just kidding. Right? City, they boo Santa, right? That's whatever. City of brotherly love. You know what the... I keep wanting to call them Smurfs. The Smyrnites, whatever we want to call them, like the Smyrnanites. You know what their motto was, the people of Smyrna? It says, we once were dead, but now we live. That was their motto. If you look at our text, that phrase means something very particular to what Jesus says. We once were dead, but now we live. So this was once a decimated city, was now resurrected, and it became a wealthy, affluent the most beautiful city in entire of Asia Minor. Had beautiful gardens, had awesome libraries, awesome streets, great thriving population. They were also fiercely loyal to the Roman Empire. So other parts of the Roman Empire could, it could not be said of this. So look at uh, Jesus' area, Galilee. Constant turmoil, constant uprisings happening. Uh, in Smyrna, this was not the case. They were fiercely loyal to the emperor. And it was actually as a result of their loyalty that Emperor Tiberius said, you guys are awesome. I'm going to reward you above other cities, above other nations. I'm going to give you the reward of building a temple, especially for you. And it's going to be a place where you can worship me, the emperor. Okay, that was his gift to them. That's how loyal they were, okay? So this tells us, goes into our religious or worship background of Smyrna. What do we know about them? So I mentioned the emperor worship. So across the Roman Empire, Caesar was Lord. That was a common phrase you heard throughout the empire. Caesar is Lord. Where did that start? Smyrna. Caesar is Lord. The emperor is God. That was the belief. And they practiced that, the people of Rome and across the empire. Now beneath that, you had subcategories of people who were in cults. So you had actually one particular cult in Smyrna. In order to appease their goddess, you know what they would have to do? They would have to wound themselves. They would have to cut themselves. They would have to mutilate themselves, sometimes chop off parts of their bodies to please the goddess. Great cult to be a part of, right? This was in Smyrna. We find out in our text today that there was also a Jewish population. There was a Jewish population, people who'd been scattered from the nation of Israel. They lived there. We, of course, are writing, John is writing to, and Jesus is speaking to the church of Smyrna. There are believers there. Most likely, this came from Paul's missionary journeys, particularly probably to Ephesus, and then they came over to Smyrna, or maybe Paul made a stop there that we, we don't read about. But there is a Christian population. There is a church. So, 
Who is the speaker to the church of Smyrna? Now, in all of our study of Revelation, it's so easy to look at the theological, eschatological timelines and get down into the weeds of it, but we need to zoom out and say, it is the revelation of who, Desert Springs? The revelation of Jesus Christ. How does Jesus Christ reveal himself through the book of Revelation? So how does Jesus Christ reveal himself to the church of Smyrna? What does he say? Here's what he says. I am the first and the last. I am the first and the last. We talked about this uh, two weeks ago with Ephesus. The first and the last means he's the beginning, he's the end. Later on, he's going to say, I'm the alpha and the omega. That means he's the boss. That means Jesus is in complete and absolute control. There was no one before him. There will be no one after him. He is Lord of Lords, King of Kings. That's Jesus, the first and the last. Now, notice how he describes himself to the people of Smyrna, whose motto is what? We once were dead and now we live look what jesus says to him he says he is the one who was dead and came back to life he is connecting with these people he's connecting with them on a personal level in their city in their town in their time and saying i am the one who was raised who was dead and has been raised again we celebrated that last weekend we started with good friday we, it was the cross it was our sin that held him there as we just sang and it was through his resurrection that we won the victory that we've experienced resurrected life we have the promise of eternal life sin and death have been defeated that is the promise of him who was dead and came back to life. So what does Jesus have to say to the church in Smyrna? So last week with uh, Ephesus, two weeks ago with Ephesus, uh, Steve presented there was condemnation and there was commendation. So there's bad things to say and there's good things to say. You know what bad things he has to say about this church in Smyrna? Nothing. Man, how awesome is that? Would you like to be Desert Springs? And Jesus Christ himself says, hey, Desert Springs, nothing. You guys are doing a great job. I'd be like, yes, right? Good job, guys. Like, Smyrna, nothing. Nothing to say against them. No condemnation. Does that mean they had it easy? Nope. We're going to get right into that right now. So here's how he starts his letter to them. He says, I know. Now, for me as a husband, for me as a parent, this is a phrase that is a buzzword in my house, and I'm like, I know, I know, I know, right? It's, it's a filler word in our culture, a filler phrase, right? Um, this word in the Greek language, so important, because it isn't just I know, like I heard you or I have information. This word means in the Greek language to be intimately acquainted with or stand in close relationship to whatever that person is going through. I am intimately aware and connected with what you are going through. It's not just I know about it, I'm with you in it, and I've been through it. And who's the one talking, by the way? Jesus. And what does he know about them? What has he experienced? He says, your affliction and poverty. Your affliction and poverty. So persecution in Smyrna was very severe for the Christians. And how do we know this? We actually get a, a little uh, encapsulation of this. 70 years later, who's heard of the early church father Polycarp? Anyone heard of Polycarp before? Um, it's not a cracker. It's not like a brand of crackers or anything like that. He's an early church father who lived in Smyrna. He was actually a disciple of John. Seven years later, in the, in the city of Smyrna, he is put to death um, because he refuses to say Caesar is Lord. And as a result of that, 
the people take him to a stake, they tie him to the stake, they stack firewood, and they burn him alive. And he, to the very end, does not deny the Lord. That was how severe the persecution was. Now, catch this. Think about this. He says, I know your affliction. What are the cults in Smyrna? What are you having to do to please the gods? What are you having to do to yourself? Mutilate yourself, wound yourself in order to please or earn favor with God or the goddess. Whereas now we have God in human flesh who has experienced affliction. And as we read in Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was wounded for our transgressions. So this is completely countercultural to what they know. And he says, I know your poverty. So this was a wealthy, affluent city, as I mentioned before, but we have the Christian population who, because of the persecution, they've been kicked out of their jobs, their possessions have been taken away, and they are literally in poverty. They have nothing. So how can Jesus Christ know their poverty? It says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, you don't have to turn there, but it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Christ Jesus. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. You might become rich. So what he's saying is, Philippians 2, you can look more at this. He had everything. Jesus left his throne. He left his glory. He left it all for who? For us. He came down to us, right? You didn't want heaven without us, so you brought heaven down. Jesus came to us. He met us in our poverty. So he left his richness. He left his glory and took our poverty so that we could have his riches. That's the story. And it's so awesome because he says this of them. He says, but you, Smyrna, you are what? Rich. You are rich. And is he speaking from a monetary standpoint, from a possession standpoint? They are rich. No, they're living in poverty. He's saying your faith, your faith is rich. Your faith is awesome, which is why he has nothing to say against them. I've got nothing to say against you because your faith is beautiful. And it's enough. The last I know statement that he says is, I know the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So the Jews at this time, they were slandering the Christians. They were throwing the Christians under the bus. They were trying to make the Christians look bad any way possible. We see this happen frequently throughout the book of Acts in the early church. The Jews were constantly riling up the crowds. They were stirring up the crowds. They were hurling insults at the Christians. They were taking part in the persecution. This was taking forth. In fact, I mentioned uh, Polycarp seven years later after this was written. So it was... The Empire of Rome who ultimately said we're going to execute you, but you know who it was who actually stacked the firewood and burned him? It was the Jews. It was the Jewish population of Smyrna that burned Polycarp alive and they took part of that. This is exactly happening 70 years later through that story. So how does Jesus know slander? So I grew up in a small town, Sholo up in the White Mountains, and that means everybody knows everybody's business. 
and you've never met this person before, but they know you already just because, oh, you're Trevor Shallow. Mm, okay, I've heard about you, right? You know, you sabotaged a pizza party, I heard, right? Like something, word gets out, okay? Same with Jesus. He grew up in a very small region. He grew up in Nazareth, but he was in another region called Galilee. Word gets out. Does Jesus have a crazy origin story? Yes, he has kind of unique, right? He's got a crazy origin story, like the virgin birth, but it was messy, right? Word gets out, rumors start, slander starts. And so it's no wonder Jesus later in the Gospels, we see this, and we can miss this because we miss the reading of this, but in, in the book of John, we see the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Here, here's what they say when they're talking to Jesus. They say, Jesus, we know who our Father is, implying what? Do you know who your Father is? Hmm, scandalous, okay. And then they say, we are not born of sexual immorality. What about you? See what they're doing? They're, they're slandering him. They're throwing insults back at him. At the, very, at the very end of it all, when he, they take him to a mock trial in the middle of the night, they can't find anything wrong that Jesus has done, so what do they have to do? They have to bring false witnesses. They have to bring in false testimony, and people start falsely slandering Jesus, and it's ultimately that that leads him to Pilate, who then takes him to the cross, right? It's slander. Jesus knows the slander. And by the way, it's from this very specific group of people. He's like, I don't, I don't just know slander, but I know slander from these people that are the Jewish people. Now, he loves them, but he says, I know. All right, you guys ready? Buckle up. We're getting into the fun, the fun stuff now. Suffering. You ready? Okay, five of you. Let's go. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Now, notice what he says in this. Does he say you might suffer? Does he say you might experience affliction or suffering? What does he say? Will. Tough truth. Sometimes we are not delivered from suffering. In fact, as Christians, we are promised the exact opposite. John 16, Jesus tells his disciples in the upper room, he says, in this world, you will experience affliction. You will have trouble. You will, that's a guarantee. I don't know if you, unfortunately, we don't hear that too often in churches these days, but they don't open up their Bibles and see this is exactly what Jesus promises to those who love him, is that there is suffering involved. So every worldview, every single religion, I don't care, background, whatever, like every worldview needs to answer this question. Why is there evil and why is there suffering? If your worldview does not answer that question, you do not have a good worldview. Why is there suffering? Why is there evil in our world? Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to paint the theological picture. I'm going to paint from what the Bible has to say. Why is there evil? And then we're going to get into the practicality of it. So theological. Why is there evil in our world? So when God created everything at the very beginning, he said at the very end of each day, it was very what? It was good. It was good. Did God create things in disorder? Did God create things in chaos? He created everything perfectly. It was good. And then, 
We mess it up. Now we say, oh, that was Adam and Eve. No, no, guys, we, we messed it up. We chose to rebel against God. That was, that's the whole point of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You ate of the fruit. There was a choice. And so that's an important thing. So the risk you run, here's, so here's the thing, and people in this room might disagree with me, but you'll, um, here's, here's what I believe. This is what the Bible teaches. God has given mankind the ability to freely choose him and to love him. That is everybody. You have that choice. You have that ability to freely choose him or love him. Now, what's the risk you run of doing that? You can choose not to. That's a risk, some people would say. But that risk needs to be in place in order for there to be a freely choose, a freely uh, a choose a free decision, to have that free decision. You need to have that in place. Otherwise, it's not love. It says in the Bible that in Christ, there is no darkness at all. There's light. It's just light. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. So to not choose God is to choose darkness. The absence of God is evil just like the absence of light is darkness. Now, the good news is this. God didn't leave us to our own devices and say, hey, figure it out for yourselves. Thanks for stabbing me in the back. See you later. He came and rescues us. God sent Jesus, his only son, into this world to live the life that we could not live, to die our death, and then to raise from the dead and have power over sin and death. So there's a rescue plan but that's, that's, in a nutshell, theologically speaking, what the Bible has to say. Why is there evil? Why is there suffering? Now we look at that, and it's like, okay, great. But then I look across this room, and I've been here almost 10 years, and there's people that I know, and your stories, and the, the stories that I hear when you guys are um, awesome enough to share with me what you guys have been through, the suffering you've been through, the reality gets tough. For this answer, right? The reality's tough. And the question is, well, I know why, Trevor, but then we zoom in and we're like, but why did it have to be this? And guys, sometimes, I'm going to be honest, we will not get that answer this side of eternity. I'm, my, my Aunt Tammy, when I was in high school, she died of ovarian cancer, right? And so, guys, I'm being honest, there's still things in that where I'm like, Why? makes no sense to me. Why? I know the answer, but why this one? I don't get it. And that's what we wrestle with. And maybe some of you guys are going through that right now. You know exactly what I'm talking about, the why. You don't understand. Someday I truly believe we're going to get the why, and we're going to see that. But maybe not till later. Now notice what it says says, look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. So notice it's the Jews who are slandering, it's the people of Smyrna who are causing affliction, but who is it that actually throws them into prison? What does it say? The devil. Satan. Uh, that means, guys, we have an enemy. 
Christians, we have an enemy, okay? And he's not, uh, he's not like the cartoon character with uh, the pitchfork and the crazy horns. Like, he's an angel of light, and he's the accuser of the brethren, right? He only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's the devil. He's the one throwing them into prison. And why is he doing that? It says he's testing them. He's testing the believers. James 1, 2 through 4, I'm still trying to live out this verse and try and get my uh, pom-poms out for this one. Uh, Consider it great joy, brothers and sisters, when you experience various trials. Hmm. Because you know that, catch this, the testing of your faith, the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Suffering can bring about maturity. Can bring about a deeper relationship with Jesus that we could never know before. Now I'm just going to speak to my life, what I've found true in my life. The times I've grown in my faith and my relationship and most as a, as a man of God has been, has it been, do you think, when I've gone through the good times? For me, it hasn't, for me it's been when life is hard, when life is rough, when I am suffering, when evil is around me, and it's hard. Those are the times I have grown the most. And maybe that's true for you, but that's what I see in my life. Guys, sometimes for me, It can only be suffering that God uses in my life to finally get my attention or finally get me to grow up. Now, he says they're going to be how long in prison? What does he say? Ten days. Now, you could look at that glass half full or glass half empty. Now, you could look at glass half full, you're like, oh, ten days. Okay, that's not too bad. Ten days. Leading to the point of death. (laughs) Ten days, okay. And then some of you guys are like, ten days? kidding me so what's the lesson behind this and people have argued about what the point is but ultimately I think the grander view of this is the 10 days of prison and suffering is this is that suffering though can be long and hard it does not last forever it does not last forever there are seasons of life where there is suffering and we see that in the Psalms right Psalm 23 that you're, you're grazing in green pastures life's good but then there's times you go through the valley of the shadow of death, right? There's seasons of life. Now, that doesn't mean, so for instance, my Aunt Tammy, when she died, we were going through that season of her cancer and when she passed. Now, we could say that season was done when uh, she passed and went to be with the Lord. That doesn't mean my grief ended, and there's still moments I get that, that pain, right? That doesn't mean it's over, but we could say that that season had run its course. Now, some of us, the end of our 10 days might not be until we see Jesus face to face. And I, I know I don't like saying that to some of you guys. Some of you guys are like, why did you have to say that? I know, I'm sorry, but the reality is some of us might not see the end of our 10 days until we meet Jesus face to face. But still, there's a season. Because when you meet Jesus face to face, he promises that he will wipe away every tear from your eye. He will resurrect you. He will give you that new body. He'll give you that awesome mind. It's a season. It says, be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. 
I will give you the crown of life. What does he mean by that? So just as Smyrna, so hang with me, guys. Just as Smyrna was honored and rewarded, the Smurfs were rewarded by Rome for their loyalty to Rome, just as they were said, okay, guys, you're doing awesome. We're going to raise you up before these other cities and present to you this awesome temple where you can have temp, uh, emperor worship and honor you before others and before Rome. In the same way, Jesus is saying, listen, if you suffer successfully, if you endure through the point of death, you will receive the crown of life from Jesus Christ himself. And what he's saying is Desert Springs is they will stand before us believers, other believers, if you as a believer suffer well. If you suffer successfully, you are going to stand before other believers at the Bema Seat Judgment, and he is going to reward you for suffering well and say, well done, good and faithful servant, the crown of life. Good job. And you'll be honored before Jesus, and you'll be honored before other believers. That's what he's pointing to. There's going to come a day where we as believers are going to be rewarded for the work we've done for him. That tells us that your suffering is seen, it's not forgotten, it's precious, and it's valuable. Our last verse, it says, Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. Trevor, what is the second death? I thought we died once, right? Is it, you're telling me we have to go through this whole thing again? Well, no, hold on. It says in the Bible that it is appointed once for man to die, and then it says, after this comes judgment. So you are going to die someday as a person, okay? So there's some other good news, right? It's like, you're going to die someday as a person, but then, if you've not believed in Jesus Christ, you're going to stand before him in judgment, and we look to the great white throne judgment. We see later in Revelation that if your name is not found in the Lamb's book of life, that you are going to be cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. This is hell. The one who conquers will be spared of this. How do you escape the second death, and who is the one who's conquered? Well, I'm glad you asked. All right, let me read this in Romans 8, one of the best chapters in the Bible, in my opinion. It says this, starting in verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, don't miss this. Now in all these things we are more than conquerors because of how awesome we are? Through Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is there anything left out in those verses? Nothing. You are his. Because you've believed in Jesus, you are more than a conqueror. Christians, we have conquered because he conquered. He conquered. It says in 1 John, if you've believed in Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, you've applied that to yourself. It says you have conquered because of him. That is the promise. 
So what does this mean for us? We need to remember. We need to remember that Jesus is the first and the last. He is in control. There is nothing, guys, that is happening in your life right now that hasn't passed through the hands of God. There is nothing that is happening in your life right now that hasn't passed through his hands. He knows. He's allowed it. And again, I can't answer always the questions why he allowed some of those things, but we know he's the first and the last. And we also know that he's the one who was dead and came back to life. He has conquered sin and death. He has conquered. But here's the one I really want to focus in on. He knows. He knows your suffering, and he is with you. There is a uh, great movie. Um, it's a tough movie to watch. I'm going to warn you if you decide to watch it, but there's a movie called Silence. Uh, it's in 2016, and it's a true story of two Christian missionaries who went to Japan. And at the time in Japan, in that 17th century, it was illegal to be a Christian. You would be put to death. And these two Christian missionaries go to share the gospel there. They're sent on a mission, and they're discovered, and they experience the most horrible persecution and torture and suffering that you could imagine. And they see other believers in Japan suffer that fate as well. And throughout this entire movie, you see these missionaries throwing up prayers to God, and they're throwing up prayers to God, and the believers are throwing up prayers to God, saying, deliver us, deliver us, deliver us. And what do we hear? Silence. At the culmination of the movie, the main character in his greatest moment of pain, he finally hears the voice of God. He hears the voice of Jesus. And Jesus says to him, I understand your pain. I was born into this world to share man's pain. I carried this cross for your pain. Your life is with me now. The main character later on replies and he says, Lord, I fought against your silence. Jesus says, I suffered beside you. I was never silent. The man says, I know. And he continues and says, but even if God had been silent my whole life to this very day, everything I do, everything I've done speaks of him. And it was in the silence that I heard your voice. It was in the silence that I heard your voice. Believers in Jesus Christ, don't give up. Your suffering is not in vain. Your suffering can only last for so long, and it has great reward. And may it be an opportunity for you to grow in maturity, to grow in love. But don't give up. Run your race well, and someday you're going to meet the one who has been afflicted, who has been wounded for your transgressions. You're going to meet him face to face, and he's going to welcome you with open arms. And may he give you the crown of life for suffering well. The last thing I'm going to say is this. I 
am so sad and sick of seeing Christians suffer in isolation. See, we talk to Jesus about these things we know. Jesus, you are with me. We talk to Jesus about it, but we are the body of Christ. It says in Galatians that we're to bear each other's burdens, but how can people bear your burdens if they don't know what your burden is? We're the body. We need to know your suffering. We need to know what you're going through. We have so many care and support ministries at this church. We have connect groups at this church. So many things at this church where you don't have to suffer in solitude. You don't have to suffer alone. We can do that together. You can be with people who love you. We can be with people who've gone through what you've gone through that can minister to you and point you to Jesus. So please don't suffer in solitude. Let's bear each other's burdens and be the body of Christ so that we can be like Smyrna and say, I've got nothing against you guys. Well done. Good job. So can we do that? Let's do it. Let's pray.